welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. If you would remain standing and just reach down and grab your Bible, I trust you brought it to church today with you. Thought there might be a chance we would use it. And turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 16 is where we'll be. Since the new year, I've been preaching, we've been learning, studying together. Now about a couple really important topics, subjects of the Christian life. For the first month, we were reminded about the importance of prayer. And uh, I know you've applied it to your life, you've worried less, and you've prayed more. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. The last couple weeks, been, been in the area of the Great Commission, our role as believers to reach the world with the gospel. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded. It's our job to preach and teach and live the good news. That you must be born again. That Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. Today, in this passage of Scripture, it's a very familiar passage. It's not a fun passage. I will tell you, for what it's worth, I have struggled spiritually and mentally in the last six weeks preparing more than I probably ever have in the last nearly six years of being your pastor. And I'm convinced it's because we have an enemy and he doesn't want us preparing for battle. I'm serious. He doesn't want a few hundred born-again Christians who believe the Bible is the word of God praying for power, praying for forgiveness, praying and getting confidence instead of frustration and anguish and worry. And I can assure you, he doesn't want several hundred or several thousand for that matter Born-again, Bible-believing men and women of prayer going around telling somebody else the good news of the gospel. It messes up his party when we do that. And if you try to be a man or woman of prayer, and if you try to be a man or woman who preaches and teaches and lives the Great Commission, you will suffer. That's not the most encouraging thing I'll tell you, but for me... It's kind of a reminder, you probably need to keep doing this. 
And so today when we read this passage, I don't want you to read it like you've heard it in Sunday school or by the best preacher you've ever heard. I want you to hear it for the first time coming from the words from the mouth of Jesus Christ who taught this, some will say parable and some will say story. In Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19, Jesus said, don't, don't miss that, not just because it's in red, but Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was also a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And this beggar desired to be fed. He wanted to be fed with the crumbs, with the leftovers, which fell from the rich man's table. But instead, every day, dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass, the beggar died. And he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom, or his side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell... The rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And the rich man cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf, a great chasm so that they that would want to pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from here. Don't miss verse 37, 27. Then he said, I pray thee, I ask you therefore, Father, that you would send him, send Lazarus, send someone to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify, that he may preach to them, that he can tell them about this place, lest they also come to this place of torment. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for the truth of your word. God, if we're honest, this is even tough to read. For most of us, we don't even want to think about these realities. But according to your word and your son Jesus, it's just as real as we're standing here today. And I pray our eyes will be open to the necessity to be men and women who share the good news. I pray in this service today, your Holy Spirit will speak to some people's hearts, to my heart, convict us, 
change us so that we'll be bold in proclaiming the good news of your gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The title is a question, and the question is, what makes the Great Commission so great? What makes the Great Commission so great? If you're new to church and new to the lingo of church, and especially Baptists or evangelicals, you might not even know what the Great Commission is, but most of us have been around a while. We understand what the Great Commission is. Just for fun this week, I tried to find out where that phrase came from. And uh, it seems that it goes back a, a few days to a Dutch missionary by the name of Justinian von Wells. I didn't know him personally. Maybe some of you ran into him a couple hundred years ago, but it's believed that he was the one who started the phrase, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment of Jesus. He was martyred, by the way, at the age of 47 as a called missionary to South Africa a couple hundred years ago. For Americans, the phrase Great Commission most likely became popular by maybe a, a better well-known missionary, Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China. Hope you know a little bit about Hudson Taylor. I'm not here to share a lot about him today, but he was a missionary to China and he had a vision. Uh, he was born again and then at an early age as a teenager, he was called to salvation and, and publicly professed, God's called me to the mission field at 17 years of age. He went to China and spent nearly 50 years there. It was said of Hudson Taylor that no other missionary in 19 centuries since the Apostle Paul had a wider vision and carried out a more systematic plan of evangelism. Jesus told us in his last minutes on earth, what I believe we would all agree if we had just a few minutes left. Think about this for a second. It'd be interesting to hear all of our responses. But if you were told you had five minutes left to share with your friends and family whatever you wanted, I don't know what you would say, I've got some ideas. But I would surmise that what you would say you would feel was the most important words you could tell them before you were gone. And Jesus, before his ascension, has the eyes and the ears of his disciples and a lot of followers. And he's about to leave and not come back for a while now we know he's gonna leave and not come back before these men, these women are dead. Last time he's ever speaking to them and he has their full attention and he says, all power is given unto me by God. Therefore, you're to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commandments I've given you, and I'll be with you forever. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, Luke writing to the 
philosopher, leader, Theophilus about the life of Christ. He says that in a different way that you're to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the earth. For us at Central Baptist Church, he's saying, hey, go out into Kannapolis and do everything you can all the way to the uttermost parts of the earth. One of our jobs, one of our missions, one of our visions here is to be men and women who share the gospel wherever you live in your Jerusalem, but that we can pray for, finance, and support men and women who can reach the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why we do what we do here. We may have a lot of fun on the way to doing it. We may have some lock-ins, all you boys and girls awake. We may have some go out to eat at Classic on the way. That's the first real amen when I say Classic. Y'all do eat at Classic, right? Yeah. Um, we may have a lot of events, a lot of gatherings, a lot of ministries along the way, but don't, don't miss, if I haven't told you lately, that our job here is the Great Commission. And only God knows how many people We'll be in heaven because of Central Baptist Church. And what we've done as a church collectively for now 84 years. Jesus said, this is the most important thing I can tell you. Now through my mind and my imagination, I'd like to think that while he's sharing these last few minutes with them, that maybe there were some people who were hearing him previously teach Luke chapter 16. Why are we to go into all the world and preach the good news? Well, because they're lost and they need a savior. Why is this commission, why is this commandment so important? Why is it so grave? Why is it so great? And the reality is, for those who heard Jesus teach Luke 16, they understand, and church, we understand, whether we forget it from time to time or not, we understand there are great consequences. There's a lot we learn in this story, some things that we could talk about for a while that wouldn't make a difference in up or down or left and right. There are people that still today would like to have coffee and maybe a cigar and discuss whether this is a parable or a real story. You wanna know my answer? Don't know, don't care. Why? The principles of what Jesus is teaching are far more important than whether it's a parable or a story. Well, he uses the man's name for, who cares? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's among a group of other parables. Who cares? What we should be concerned with are the consequences that Jesus clearly points out. So a couple of things I want you to notice real quick before we get into the real message of it. Uh, and I thought this was interesting. Um, everybody dies. Rich people die and poor people die. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Every person who's ever taken a breath will die. That's the most encouraging thing you'll probably hear this month. <laughs> Happy February. 
every day, every minute of every day, someone is meeting the Lord or waking up in hell. Now, you're already getting ahead of yourself. You're like, he believes this stuff. I'm not sure if he believes that. He's too smart and too young to believe this stuff. I know you're thinking that. You've already messed up because I do believe it. We'll get there. This parable or this story teaches that everybody's going to die. I I found this interesting also, and I've never noticed this before, and maybe I missed it and just not a good reader, which I've been told, but... This rich man knew this beggar. He saw him every day. He was outside of his gate. He passed him every day. He had the opportunity to help him every day, but he chose not to. This parable also teaches not only does everybody die, it teaches something that we know in the church and we know biblically there are only two types of people, lost and saved. It will also teach us there's only two destinations after death, heaven or hell, the presence of God or hell, paradise or hell, Abraham's bosom, hell. Only two places. Not in this Bible or probably any, I think, that any of you have right now. Does it say anything about an uh, intermediary state? I think and I hope it also teaches us that today's the day of salvation. It certainly teaches us the reason the Great Commission is great. And the first thing I do want us to look at is there are some great consequences. Notice first, there is life after death. Y'all help me out. I was really ahead of schedule with all we had, so I can drag this out or not. There is life after death. There is an existence after death. There's also existence of those who don't think there's life after death. We have an epidemic, if you will, of agnostics, especially in America today. Some of them come out of our churches because they decided they were smarter than God and God didn't know what he was talking about and they knew better. So now they have this uh, agnostic worldview that there's nothing you can know for certain. What a crazy life to live, by the way. None of us can be smart enough to know anything for certain. It's the most, it's the most cowardly, I believe, um, opinion you can have. It, it's almost very childish, as a matter of fact. Well, your kids don't know anything, right? Yes or no? I don't know. Well, you said you were hungry. What do you want? I don't know. You want to go to Disney World or? I don't know. That's an agnostic. They don't think it's possible to know if there's life after death. And this is going to sound really mean and very Baptist preacher-like. But every agnostic will find out the truth one day. Now, don't be, don't be too greedy about that and excited about it. Our job is to preach the truth now so that they have the, the opportunity to respond to it. 
And I want to tell you, if you want to argue with an agnostic, have fun with it. I don't have time for it. And I, I don't mean that mean, but so, you just got to say, God, only you can handle this. And allow the Holy Spirit of God and the truth of his word to change an agnostic's heart. It's a cop-out. You got agnostics and you got atheists. They're, they're a little more bold. They're just, I almost said a mean word. They're, um, they're just honest enough to say there's not. There's no heaven, there's no hell. There's no God. Uh, and I find it very entertaining when atheists don't want you talking about God. Anybody found the irony in that? Don't be praying in schools. Why are you concerned if we pray into nothing? Why does it bother you? You ought to just say they're a bunch of idiots. But no, 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 no prayer in school, no Bible in schools. No prayer in the government. No God in the government. Because there is no God. Well, if there is no God, don't worry about us talking about God. And they don't believe it. They are bold enough to say with certainty there is no hell. They don't have any proof. I will find, and this is, I don't mean this as, people get really religious when somebody dies. I don't know. I know pastors have figured that out. And it's funny how people that know heaven, no hell, no God, no anything, when somebody dies, they start talking a lot about heaven. And I understand there's a, a mental and an emotional aspect of that. You don't want to talk about the what ifs. I've walked into my fair share of houses that were not very religious at all, if not very anti-religious, but suddenly, cousin, sister, brother, mama, grandpa's in heaven, and then they throw it, don't be, don't be offended with what I'm about to say. And then they throw it on Facebook, they just got their wings. Please don't say that and be my friend. I understand people get, but please don't. God needed another angel. No, he didn't. And she wasn't. Okay. We, can, we can really really get flighty and religious, can't we? She was mean as the devil, but God, she got her angel wing nails. You hear the bells ringing. That's right, that's right. Okay, you're right. People that are agnostic, people that are atheists, people that are uh, willingly ignorant. Don't tell me, I don't want to know about this. They live with this mentality of eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. And that's it. And I don't know if you know that, but that actually came from Scripture. That phrase came from Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet of God, is preaching to the people of God, saying your hypocrisy, your... Um, your sins are going to ruin you and you're going to be overtaken. So you should repent. You should cry out. You should mourn. And their hard-hearted, hypocritical response was, well, they're coming to get us tomorrow. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. Do you hear the philosophy? Do you see that philosophy in America and in the world today? Well, it's, it's over I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to try to stay on track here. 
when we allow that philosophy to be philosophy to be adopted in America, we see what we see on our TVs today. There are no consequences for your sin. There are no consequences for breaking the law. Well, it's all over. And anybody who wants to adopt the spiritual philosophy that there are no consequences will live like what we see playing out in America today and in the world today. Christians believe differently, so we act differently. There are consequences for our actions, both here and later. We're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we've done in our body, both good and bad. But we also, Christians today, if you're born again, you're going to say amen or yeah, I felt this before. You can't sin and get by with it today. Yeah, the church might not know it and your friends might not know it, but God knows it and your heart knows it and you, you are whooped. So I've never been spanked. That's what's wrong with you, number one. If we'd have said spanked in my house, that would have been like the biggest sissy cuss word if we'd have said spanked. If my dad would have said, I won't give you a spanking, I'm like, did you get saved? What, what happened? Whooped was like the, the least offensive, and then it went up from there. You want a whooping? You say that to a kid today, and like, what did he say? Ask, ask a 10-year-old today if they want a whooping. They'd probably say, yeah. Is it sweet or sour? And I'm talking about my kids too. Where are they at? Are they laying down? I see one. You back there, I got you. They're all awake, we're good. That philosophy adapted or adopted will change the way a person thinks. And the reality in Jesus' words is that there are consequences. And first, I'm gonna be really quick with this one. All the Christians will amen this and we'll move on. And it came to pass, verse 22, that the beggar then was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The consequence for believers is comfort. There's comfort for the believer. Later he says, and he is now comforted. That word comfort is a crazy word. It's not just cozy and put a blanket on in a cold room. It's comfort as in to ask for earnestly. It's, it's receiving what you've asked for. Comfort. So when I got saved, I didn't know I was asking for comfort. But you got it. And really what your soul was saying is give me some comfort, God. And he gave it to you. And he said, Abraham, uh, he's in Abraham's side. He is now comforted. There, there's a consequence for the believer. And it's comforting. This is not a crutch. It's comfort. Well, they just hold on to their religion for a crutch. No, it's a little more than that. It's our life. It's how we make it through this mess. It's how we watch the news and not throw a brick through it and then go to bed. We're comforted. Not that I've ever thrown a brick at a TV. Now a remote or two. That, that was usually football. Look at what he says. He was carried by angels. There's your angels for all you angel lovers. She didn't sprout wings. He was carried by angels 
into the presence of God. Abraham's bosom, we get caught up in that. This means Abraham's side. What does that mean? Uh, in early biblical days, uh, it's kind of like the Last Supper. You can see it. It was, um, it was almost from an Oriental origin where they would sit and they would have dinner and uh, they would eat like some of our kids do. Uh, they would lean over on their left side and eat. Uh, it's kind of like that. And that's what they would do. They would sit down at a low table and they would lean to the left. Yeah, they would lean to the left. But the host, the guy who's putting on this show in this banquet, is seated at the center, upright. Imagine the Lord's Supper, Jesus at the center. They're all wrapped around, they're leaning. The Jewish people understood Abraham being the highest of all. He is Father Abraham, who had many sons and many sons. And he is at the center of this banquet table, hosting this banquet party. And now, when you die as a believer, you enter into the presence of Abraham's bosom, paradise, heaven it's called. And now, he is at Abraham's bosom. He is the one. He's not Abraham, but he is the one at the seat of honor to where he is the one leaning to his left on the right side of the chest of the host. This same man who was poor and begging for leftovers, covered in sores, dogs licking him, is now in the seat of honor. Now he's comforted. Now that would be a good time to go on a five minute little preaching right here. That's where we were. That's who you was, who I was, who you were, but now, yeah. Paul said it's like we're already there. Yeah. Amen. Seated in high places. And the angels came and got him. You may believe this or you may not, but my mom was a hospice nurse for many years. I heard a lot of stories, many I can't tell in church publicly. <laughs> But on more than one occasion, I have heard of people in their dying minutes speak of angels coming into the room to get them. Said they're crazy, well, you do believe what you want to. But I know of a lady that was in a room and she kept talking to somebody in the corner. And they kept saying, who are you talking to? They thought she was delirious. And they said, she said, it's the angel. She's here to get me. And in her last dying breath, she said, here he comes, and went to meet the Lord. Did they all happen that way? No, but I've also heard some horror stories of people that didn't have angels in their rooms coming to get them. And they're horror stories of people who died without Christ. The Bible says, not little naked baby angels, but warrior, men of God, angels, escorted him into paradise. To be absent from this body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. No hanging out and get everybody to pray and give money to get you there. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Comforted. It's a great consequence. There's comfort for the believer. But there's condemnation for the unbeliever. The 
The rich man, verse 22, died also and was buried. And he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom by his side. Church, believer, Jesus taught there is a literal hell. I've read the books, I've watched the videos, I've heard the stories and the documentaries, and I'm not here to share that with you. There's a lot of convincing articles and videos and stuff. What's wrong with most of us is we're more convinced by an article or a a Facebook post than we are the Word of God. And Jesus here said there is a hell. Over 160 times in the New Testament, torment or negative consequences Dooming is mentioned for those who are lost. In the New Testament, 160 times. 70 of those times, it's Jesus. Please convince me that there's a hell and I'll believe. That's not how it works. And here's what I want you to understand. I can't convince you of that. I could show the articles, I could read the articles, I could show the videos, we could talk about it for hours, but I can't convince you of that. But I want you to understand that Jesus himself said there is a hell. And Jesus told this story to make a point to those who are listening. There are two choices, there are two places, there are two people, and you can wake up in heaven and paradise in the presence of God or you can wake up in hell. Didn't dig that out of the Baptist faith and message. Didn't dig that out of the Quran. Didn't dig it out of the apocryphal books. Jesus in the New Testament and over 70 times himself, the Son of God, the Word in flesh said, He lifted up his eyes in hell. Well, my version says Hades. Good. Place of death. Place of fire. People ask, do you really believe? Are you you part of a church that believes in hell? If you don't know your answer, your right answer is yes. Your church believes in it. Your pastor believes in it. And every Christian better believe in it. Because Jesus said it. People question it. People doubt it. People scoff. People laugh. You hellfire and brimstone. Well, I don't know that I'm that, but I do believe in hellfire and brimstone. People laughed at Noah when he preached for 120 years that the world would be destroyed by God, by rain, and they had never seen a drop of rain. And guess what? It rained. And the world was destroyed. People laughed at Lot when he said, God said he's going to destroy this place because of your sin. And they laughed. And guess what? It rained. Fire, brimstone, and Sodom and Gomorrah was demolished. And I've been close to this place, if it helps. And they start digging, and they find a weird amount of ash all over modern-day Sodom. 
And they have an explanation for it. I've watched it. Dust particles in the air. Now listen, listen, I've watched this. I liked it actually. I like science. There was an anomaly. They didn't know how this part of the earth was scorched. Literally, this is true. This is not, this is not a Facebook article. This is a real article. Twitter. Anyway, and sorry, X, the artist formerly known as Twitter. But real. And they're excavating. They're like, what's all this ash here? How did this happen? And then they find out that under the surface of the earth there, there's an exorbitant amount of gas. And then they had this idea that particles were falling and they were um, interacting with the gas and it was causing fire. And they actually said fire fell from heaven. But this is how it happened. And I said, wow. And you might be thinking, well, no, God sent it. Well, God made it all. Could he not have used this phenomenon to make it happen? Yeah, it happened. But people mocked them. People laughed at them. And today, church, don't be offended when people laugh when you say Jesus is coming back. I've never seen it. You seen him come back yet? Don't say yes. That's not the right answer. (laughs) You ever seen him? No. But we go around and preaching. We're in the last days. And he's coming back. And guess what? He's coming back. They might laugh. They might laugh. But it's all right. We won't be the first ones that ever got laughed at for preaching the truth. Living the truth. Condemnation. He lifted up his eyes in hell. And verse 23 says, being in torments. It's the word we get tortured from. It's severe pain. It's ongoing anguish, not just of body, but of mind. And don't miss this. I'm going to try to make it quick. But notice torments is plural. It's not just about the fire, but it is about the fire. There's several applications. Don't miss. Jesus taught this. I didn't pull this out of nowhere. Jesus taught this. There's physical torment. Yes, there's real fire in hell. The word there uh, for flame in verse 24, guess what it means? Flame. It means a blaze. It's not a flicker. It's a blaze, a forest fire. It's our idea of an engulfing forest fire. In verse 24, Jesus teaches there is physical torment in this place called hell. I am tormented in this flame. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus teaches the parable of the kingdom of heaven and he talks about the unfaithful steward and the talents and he's given a picture of the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. And those who don't enter the kingdom of heaven end up in everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The word there, fire, is fire. There's physical torment in hell. There's also mental torment in hell. Look at verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember Remember in your lifetime you received good things, Lazarus evil, but he's comforted and now you're tormented. There is mental torment 
in hell. A memory of every opportunity to respond to the gospel. By the way, it's, it's worth noting, the rich man's not in hell because he's rich. The rich man's in hell because he never believed. Nobody will ever go to hell because they're rich. Can a rich man get saved? Yep. Is it difficult? Yep. Why? Jesus said it. Don't miss it, Mark chapter 10. Rich man comes to Jesus, rich young ruler. Y'all know this, I hope you know it, it's really important. I wanna follow you, Lord, I wanna follow you. He said, all right, go sell everything, give it to the poor. And he said he walked away upset, heartbroken, because he had a lot of stuff. Now you've heard me say this before and I believe it and if Jesus might correct me when I get to heaven. I don't think that stuff's gonna happen by the way but because um, I think I'll have perfect knowledge and I won't need him to straighten it because that's what the Bible says. But anyway, um, well I'll get there, I'm gonna ask Peter. I'm like, how'd, you, how'd it feel walking on that water? Uh, anyway, so I mean how deep did you get when you started saying save me? Was it really that many? Did the net really break? <laughs> anyway, I think, I know, I believe, I believe, don't know, that if the guy would have said, all right, Jesus, I'm going to sell it, he would have said, come follow me. I think he was looking at his heart. And I think he's looking at our heart. And he wants to know that we're willing to give up to follow him. Jesus had never said that before, by the way, but he knew the guy's heart. And then the disciples are questioning. This is Mark chapter 10. Oh, man. And Jesus turns around and says, I tell you, boys, it's harder. It's hard for these guys to get to heaven. Matter of fact, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. And then the disciples, the deacons of the day, said, oh, I mean, if that's the case, who in the world can be saved? And Jesus heard their thoughts and heard them murmuring. He says, hey, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This man's not in hell because he's rich. And nobody's in hell because they're rich. People are in hell because they rejected Christ. Remember? Mental torment. I believe this. I've heard it preached for all my life. And there are some people that believe that hell is not physical flames and it's all mental and emotional torture. Please hear what I'm about to say and don't snip this clip and play it. Do that to him. Don't do that to him either. I believe if there were no if there were no flames in hell, the mental and emotional torture would be enough. Can you imagine? I'm going to just put this practical. Can you imagine an American in hell who has lived in the most saturated gospel country on the planet? I mean, today, if you have satellite radio, you have to avoid the gospel preaching channels. It's everywhere, it's on the internet, it's everywhere. We have access to the gospel more than ever in any person's life. And every Sunday, there are Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches where there's a pastor preaching the truth of the gospel week after week. 
with LED lights, heat and air, microphones, nice suits, padded pews, and every Sunday, somebody hears the gospel and walks out just as lost as they were when they came in. Can you imagine that 40, 50, 60, 70-year-old American who's the Baptist church for maybe 20, 30, 50 years and heard the gospel but rejected? In hell, remembering every chance they had to say yes to the grace, to the mercy, to the love, and the forgiveness of Jesus. Hearing the preacher say, these altars are open. Hearing an evangelist say, do you know for sure that you're born again? Hearing a preacher yell and scream, maybe cry in tears. It's a free gift of salvation to whoever calls on his name. And they sat there and the hardness, bitterness of their heart, hurt, whatever the reason, and said no to God. But now, in hell, remembering what could have been. And Abraham said, remember in your days. And he, he reminds him of the good things he had. And I, and I want to make this practical. I want to I remind you today. I'm not talking about the people that were here and not here. I'm talking about you and me today. Remember the good things you had. I'm not talking about your cars and your houses. Remember the good things you have today, which is primarily access to the gospel, Amen. to the good news, to where some preacher has prepared and studied week after week. And I mean this for every pastor of every church that does it with the goal in mind to preach a true, clear gospel that someone by faith could trust in him. That's a good thing. The Bible that you have, the copies that you have at your house that never get opened. When the access, the key to the kingdom of God is at your hand with the power of the Holy Spirit convicting you and you say, no. Remembering the access you had, the good things you had. Jesus teaches that there are people in hell mentally in torment because they remember. I didn't plan, didn't even think about this. I'm gonna ask you something. Do you know anybody? Now, this is tough.
Do you know anybody that based on their life or profession or lack of, I'm serious as a heart attack here, who died without Christ? I'm not trying to give anybody a guilt trip. I'm not here for that. We're all guilty. I think we can all line up and say we're guilty of not sharing the way we're supposed to share. You know anybody? Can you see them? It's a tough question, tough thought. Just a few weeks ago, I mentioned somebody randomly in a sermon. who was my biological dad. Who I saw him two days before he woke up in hell. And I tried two times and he rejected. You know anybody? based on their testimony or their rejection, who's in hell. Maybe it's somebody you tried to witness to. Maybe it's somebody who rejected. Maybe it's somebody you never told but you should have told. I have a, I'm assuming my mind or God's bringing this to my memory. I have a guy, I know his name, that I went to high school with. I haven't thought about this in years. A week of preparation never crossed my mind. Somebody needs to hear this. I was not the popular kid in high school. I, I did all right, but I had a guy that followed me everywhere. He was poor. He lived in a trailer park. I could take you to the trailer park he lives in, lived in right now. By the way, I lived in a trailer at the same time. For some reason, he took a liking to me and followed me around everywhere. I'm a Christian in 12th grade. If I would have died, I'd have been absent from the body and present with the Lord. Not very proud to meet him, by the way. But I was a Christian. And this guy, high school year, some reason started liking Dean, hanging out with Dean, followed me everywhere. We went to Washington, D.C. on my ninth grade, on my, not my ninth grade trips when the first time I met him, and, and he's following me around. By 12th grade, he's, I knew him, I talked to him, I didn't avoid him. Whether I was too cool to be spiritual or whatever, I don't know. Never one time told him about Jesus. Never one time told him, hey, won't you come to church? He was picked on, he was laughed at, made fun of. I saw him at Hardy's within months after graduating, maybe a year, working at Hardy's in the drive-thru. Ordered food, there he is. What's up, Rick? I hadn't seen you in a while. How you doing? Fine. Mm, obviously, working at Hardy's doing good. 
probably wasn't six weeks later, Rick walked out in his front yard, same trailer park he lived in, and killed himself in the front yard. This book is real. Jesus is real. And these words are true. And if Rick didn't accept Christ, he's in hell, tormented. And if the physical and the emotional torment wasn't enough, Jesus teaches it's eternal. And I know it's late, and I know where our minds are going right now. And I, I'm gonna just speak to a real reality. Some of you have loved ones who if the, if the Bible's true, they're in hell. Maybe you think it's your fault, maybe you, whatever. I can't deal with all that today. But I want you to hear this, and I've said this before, but I want you to hear this. There is no one you loved or loved you who's in hell who wants you to be there. There's been songs sung, there's been some stupid stuff said, but there are no parties in hell. And they're not waiting on you to come. The Bible is true, and they're in mental, physical, eternal torment. They're crying out, somebody go tell my friends. Somebody tell my brothers. This rich man asked for some water to help his thirst. And Abraham's response was, can't do it. There's a great divide between us and them, and no one can cross over eternally. John talks about these, the eternality of hell and the lake of fire in Revelation. Jesus in Mark chapter nine talks about going into heaven maimed. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to enter into heaven maimed than to go to hell with both where the worm dies not. And the flames are never quenched. It's eternal. After Lazarus is told of these realities, and he's experienced great consequences, he teaches us, and we are taught, that the Great Commission is great because there should be a great concern. Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. And I'll tell you what's wrong with me and most of us. We don't love like Jesus and we don't have compassion like Jesus. And myself and you and this church and every other Bible-believing church has got to get to the place where we start seeing people like Jesus sees them. So how does that happen? This is my conclusion. I think there are 
three things we should do. We should pray for compassion. So that sounds pretty by the book. I'm gonna tell you, I figured out I can't just make myself compassionate. You are hard-hearted meanie. That's what my wife calls me all the time. I don't know. <laughs> no, I know myself well enough to know I need God's help if I'm going to see people the way he sees people. Because I know how I see people. Idiots. Use your blinkers. Must not work on that model. I know me. And I know a lot of times I see people and I see their faults, I see their failures, I see their uh, insufficiencies, their ignorance, their whatever. But I need to see them as people in need. And you do too. And I think we need to pray, God change my heart. Soften my heart. Help me to see people like you see people. And I promise you, I'm not, I'm not just always walking around hard-hearted and mean. There's times I have to get serious with God and I start to see people differently and I respond differently. But it can't be once a month when I feel real spiritual. It's gotta be a daily conversation with God. So pray for compassion. Pray for conversions. We did that this morning. Anne doesn't mind me calling this out and saying, hey, this, this lady's daughters or, or children are lost. Pray for conversions. Pray to the harvest, Jesus said in Matthew 9. Pray that he sends workers. The laborers are few. Pray to him that people go out. You know somebody that's lost. Pray for compassion, but pray for conversions. Pray that God sends somebody their way. Amen. Pray that they wake up next Sunday and say, you know what? I think it'd be a good day to go to church. So you don't know these people. Exactly. That's why you pray for God to do it. I've been telling them for two years to come to church and they won't listen. Well, you're not God. So call him. Pray for conversions. Jesus said it. The laborers are few. Pray. I started doing that a long time ago. People started saying, hey, such and such, such and such. The Gilsdorf's got a niece um, uh, that's in sick cancer. And they said it. Hey, she's lost. So we've been praying. God, save her. Send somebody her way. Put somebody in her path that she would hear the gospel and she would be saved because cancer is the least of her worries if she dies. Pray for compassion. Pray for conversions. Pray for conversations. To talk to people. And when it happens, be ready. See, I don't know what to say. Well, you already forgot my message about the woman at the well. What do I say? Come see a man. Told me everything I ever did. Come meet a man who knew me but loved me and saw me where I was. And when I confessed him as Lord, he changed my life. Is this not Jesus? Is this not the Christ? Come see him. That's all you got to do. Pray for compassion. Church, we need compassion. Y'all say amen. I'll say it one more time and then we'll go home. We need compassion. We need to have some conversations.
Amen. And we need to pray for some conversions. Would you pray with me? Before I pray, I know what time it is. Got a big clock right in front of me. This is God's house. We're here to worship him. It's his time. He's worthy. Nothing you got going on in the next five to 15 minutes is more important than you having a conversation with him. And maybe now's the time that some Christians are praying. Maybe you want to come to an altar. Maybe you want to pray where you're at. It's between you and God. But before we sing and go through the motions of finishing out this service, Christians ought to be praying. And I think I know myself and I know us enough that many of us need to be praying for compassion to see people like Jesus sees them. Some of us need to be praying for conversions. People we love, people we care about, brothers or sisters. And I want to ask you to be praying for them today and in the future. Not just at church on Sundays, but during the week. By name. Altars are open. Be in a time of prayer. If you want to stand as we sing, we're going to sing this hymn of invitation. And now it's between you and God. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.